Welcome to Cinema Duel, a podcast where myself, John, and my friend Chris talk about a couple of movies around a theme of our choice. Chris, how are you this spooky season? I am very, very spooky, John. Thank you for asking. Um, everything is going well here. The The weather is changing. It's getting nice and brisk. Colors are coming in on the leaves. And uh, I have at this point, um, I was talking to somebody earlier, it is the time of this recording, the 22nd of October. Um, and I have written and reviewed 30 horror films so far for the annual Hooptober <laughs> marathon. So I am good. I am still in it. Uh, but I am certainly glad to be seeing the, uh, seeing the finish line here shortly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I both marvel at the, at your commitments and the work ethic needed to put through uh, that kind of effort while simultaneously I have been watching seemingly a lot of horror movies and doing nothing about it afterwards. <laughs> I, I've been having a great time. I've been watching a lot of catching up on a lot of spooky movies that I've never seen before. And then afterwards just saying that was a ripping good time. That movie whipped ass and then moving on and never thinking about it again. So I'm, I'm, I'm also happy to, you know, move on to another thing, but, but only because, you know, uh, but, but, but not for probably the same reasons as you. Well, you know, that speaks to, um, that's what I love about doing the marathon and, and, and the season in general. I, I do, and we've talked about this probably every year, so I won't go into, but I do love horror. Um, I, I love sort of the, the visceral thrill that it gets you when you watch and, and, there are a few genres of film that can kind of vary in quality as much as horror does and still elicit like a good good time response like there are especially in uh um i i have a very soft spot for we, we have a theme for tonight's um episode uh but i mean whether it's like heavy thematic you know, thinking person, I hate to use the word elevated because it's been used to death, but like elevated horror, um, or it's just completely gratuitous 80 kind of 80 slashers and, and weird stuff like that, or then kind of moving on to the fifties and sixties or, or the thirties. There's so much to be had. Uh, there's so many different wildly divergent styles, but all of them have the ability to elicit this kind of this giggly thrill. So whether you're kind of like watching and writing about it, or you're really looking for deeper meanings and, and why is the shade red always there? And you know, what's with this, this particular camera angle that is happening, or if it's just look at the monster run over and eat a bunch of people. There's so much to be had from the genre. That's why I like to talk about it every year and do the marathon to boot. <laughs> Indeed. Well, and you had mentioned that we have a, a theme for this year's horror, uh, horror episode um and this uh based on based on again for for every time that we do one of these hooptober themed episodes uh we always pick based on movies from your list to ease your uh to ease your burden of movie watching and uh this time around uh i know you've talked about this in past episodes uh and so i thought this would be a chance for us to dig into the world of hammer horror a uh, a specific uh, movie studio uh, whose up until this month I whose movies I basically had not seen. Um, yeah. So Chris, why don't you tell me a bit about your history with Hammer Horror? Yeah, and it's not like a like a particularly deep <coughs> excuse me history. Um, it, I didn't grow up with it. You know, I grew up basically with universal horror um, of the 30s and the 40s. So Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, they were my Frankenstein and they were my Dracula. Um, but I remember very vividly as a child, every once in a while, seeing these, these kind of um, super vivid, colorful horror films as a kid. And it was like, and it, and it, and it, all I knew was it wasn't my Dracula. It was someone else's Dracula. And it was, it was someone else's really weird Frankenstein. And with, 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 with the Frankenstein films in particular, I don't even remember Frankenstein as much as I remember how amazing Dr. Frankenstein was. Uh, so not the monster, but the creator, obviously. And those images kind of stuck with me. And it wasn't until much later, um, as an adult, uh, when a lot of the Hammer films really became available that I was able to dive in and see this kind of amazing 
bevy of films that at once was a response to kind of the horror that came out of Hollywood and America in the 1930s and 1940s. But at the same time, <clears throat> was so distinctly British in its in its in its passion and in its and in its characterization and in the way that it tells a story that it was seeing the things that I had grown up loving through a completely different lens. Um, and I just became enamored of it. I became enamored of the gothic melodrama of it all. The, the the colors are so vivid. Everything is so much more acrobatic and alive um, in these films, even though we're talking about the undead. Um, there is just this sense of, I used the term earlier, there is a visceral thrill for me watching these films. Um, and and sure, certainly, especially when I was younger, a lot of it had to do with how buxom and sensual the women were in the film. But so much of it has to do with, I mean, two people in particular, if we're going to talk about the huge draw of Hammer in general, it is Mr. Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, who... <clears throat> You know, play a whole host of characters, but, uh, you know, they are the embodiment of Hammer to me and getting to see them kind of flex their chops, whether they're playing the monster, uh, the madman, they're playing the hero, the the, the heel, the, the card, the fool. Um, it's just wonderful to watch. Um, and when I had heard when we were talking that you had never seen a Hammer horror film, um, up to, to this point, I was like, oh, it's perfect because I typically have two or three on my list every year because I've gotten to the point with, with, with Hammer that I do with some of my favorite authors. When there's an author that I really, really, truly love, um, I don't read all of their stuff at once. I, I, I read most of it and then I, I, I save some in reserve for when I really, really need it. Um, now, that's not as huge of a problem with Hammer because they have upwards of 160 films. <clears throat> A fact but, that you noted to me uh, earlier today, yeah. even. <laughs> but I mean, that's from their beginnings in the late 30s all the way up into, I mean, they kind of reestablished themselves in the 2000s um, and, and started putting out a couple of films again um, at one point. But what we're really talking about is that great section from the late 50s to the you know early to mid 70s. That period right there is like the classic hammer horror period. Uh, but I still think there's so much fun to be had, even when you kind of move away from the A tier of films. Um, so that's where we're going to go today, John. Um, before we kick it off, and we're, we're going to kick it off with uh, the earlier film first, um, just generally, I know you kind of watch quite a few films to get yourself in the mood for us to talk. So any kind of general takeaways from Hammer in general based on your viewing? Well, even just, um, I think I think for the Hammer ones, I watched... Uh, one of the Frankensteins and one of the Draculas. Um, I think the ones that you had recommended to me. Um, but even just from those two and then the two that we watched uh, that we're going to be talking about today, um, it, it, I was really interested to hear that you didn't come, that this was not something you grew up with, because um, obviously it wasn't for me either. But my immediate reaction on seeing these movies this month was um, largely just how comfortable everything felt. It like it it's 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 not like it's de you know devoid of life or anything. It just felt like this feels like a movie that would be on TV that I would that I just happen to catch upon, uh, and with nothing else to watch, I would watch a bunch of this kind of movie. Um, and there's something about, um, yeah, there's there's it, it feels like old slippers that somehow I've never warrant but have that same similar level of like just ease of watching ease of like in, enjoyable experiences like i i mean 160 movies is a lot and uh i'm sure we'll talk about why that may not why trying to do like a you know a, a ex exhaustive go, go through of the whole the, their whole set might be not necessary but uh but even just with the handful of ones, I was like, I was like, I could watch any number of these at any point. Yeah. You want to just throw one on at any point. I will watch as many of these uh, as you can give me. Uh, yeah. I wonder if part of that is because um, so even though it is horror, um, there is a real and I, I feel weird saying this. There is a real 
British feel to the film. Yeah, you may not have seen a Hammer horror film before, but like you may have seen plenty of 60s British films. Um, and I think there's something there. I think, it, and which is, I want to be very careful. That's not an indictment or not a criticism. Um, there is just something about that. Like there's something about the 1930s and 1940s Hollywood studio system. You know, you're watching one when you watch it. Um, and for me, that felt like an old glove, right? That's what I grew up with. Um, it's like chicken soup horror for me <laughs> to like sit down with a warm blanket, a little cup of soup and just, you know, watch this vivid red blood flow from, you, you know, obviously painted on to the cheek and lip of, of uh, Christopher Lee as as he's pouncing on his victim or something like that. Speaking of uh, Mr. Christopher Lee, why don't we dive into uh, the first of our two movies for uh, the episode, the first of which is going to be The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll. <laughs> Dr. Jekyll, made in 1960, directed by Terrence Fisher, and stars Paul Massey as Dr. Jekyll, uh, alongside a supporting cast, including, of course, uh, the ever-present uh, Christopher Lee. Um, this, of course, based on the story of Dr. Jekyll and uh, Mr. Hyde. Um, this is, you know, the my, my first and immediate reaction coming out of this, and I told you before we recorded, uh, was watching the movie and realizing that uh, despite it's ubiquitous presence as a sort of as a pop culture term or like a uh, some like you talk about Jekyll and Hyde that part is not at all like in question like that that's that's pretty universally understood but um sitting down to watch this movie realizing that I actually have never actually read the book Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or even like seen a direct adaptation of it um so I know that they are the same person of course this is not a spoiler that that doesn't uh qualify for me to use the spoiler alert sound effect um <laughs> <laughs> um but the uh i mean if we want to talk about the, the the plot briefly before we talk about you know obviously we'll talk about a lot of the acting performances uh, and that kind of thing but what surprised me about this I don't, again, I don't know how much this plays into other versions of the story was how much, uh, or how much Dr. Jekyll, like in the beginning when he's talking to his, his scientist friend gives a big Nietzschean Ubermensch speech about how we should forego the categories of good and evil and how, you know, th these are, these are old fashioned ideas and we should, and he's doing experiments to try and unlock the, um, the dark recesses of his mind. Um, and of course, when he does that, um, he brings out Mr. Hyde and who is, you know, clean shaven and uh, is able to basically talk his way through everything. And I also I told you beforehand that I was going to invoke Brad Pitt because my first thought watching this movie was this feels like Fight Club. Yeah, that except, makes sense. Except instead of Edward Norton, like subconsciously willing Brad Pitt into existence. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Jekyll is purposefully trying to invoke his own Tyler Durden. Um, it, he's, he, he wants to do all of the, um, he wants to do all of the things he wants to say rude things to women. He wants to, you know, bang the starlet, um, all of these things that his, his best friend Christopher Lee does. And we definitely need to talk about Christopher Lee in this movie. Um, but, but yeah, that was my takeaway is that he uh, he he does all these things because he specifically wants to re get rid of his inhibitions. He wants to just go all id instead of, you know, ego or anything. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, I mean, this is this is very much right. The Jekyll and Hyde story is very much a story about ego versus id. The one thing that I found really fascinating about the movie um, that's different from other iterations that I've seen on screen is you were talking about how Paul Massey plays, you know, Dr. Jekyll and then, you know, has this transformation and becomes Mr. Hyde. Um, I would kind of rephrase that a little bit. Um some guy that I don't understand 
and looks really weird plays Dr. Jekyll because the first time you see Dr. Jekyll, you are immediately put off by Dr. Jekyll. I literally, I literally screamed at at my iPad saying, what's wrong with your face? Like what is all the makeup he does is bad, but it's a really interesting though. It's a great conceit because what, what he, it's, it's, it's Paul Massey under a lot of makeup and he looks very kind of like withdrawn and haggard. He's got a beard. He's got a weird forehead and hair. And basically what happens is when he does transform into um, Edward Hyde, he transforms into Paul Massey, <laughs> who yeah. is incredibly handsome and just has this sculpted Michelangelo face that is almost perfection. And I'll talk about why I say almost perfection in a moment when we talk about some of the other people in this film. But uh, I think that's a really nice kind of thing that I haven't seen before. Usually it's the meek professor who turns into this like hulking kind of, you know, the the id is usually... um, personified as this like hulking man-child beast, right? And if you've seen different iterations of the film, that's a lot of the time how they've gone with the transformation into Hyde. And I love that it's completely different here. It is someone who is the smoothest operator, this like cold, merciless, but like stunning looking individual that can basically get whatever he wants. And he doesn't get it because of brute strength and kind of man-child babyisms. He gets it because he is that striking. Um, So I did really enjoy that. There is not a lot to the film structure wise. I mean, there's, and let's get into it. Uh, I, I mean, really, this is he kind of Dr. Jekyll is is a prick, basically. He's abandoned his wife just to do all of this research. Right. And the research is basically around. Right. You know, we are we are bound by the tenets of what we consider good and evil. But what if we can move past that? How much more can man excel um, if they could just get rid of the bonds of what they know to be, you know, rigid morality? Which, okay, is fine, but then why are you testing it on a monkey that has no understanding of morality? I don't know, like, I don't know how that works, but we'll leave that aside. Again, sometimes you have to just let logic go, and it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting sequence to watch because you know, like, okay, how are they going to treat what is obviously a live monkey to do these injections and stuff? And I love watching from the technical aspect how Fisher cuts away at the last moment or does these things to kind of trick you into thinking you're, you're seeing what's happening when you're actually not but because he is such a jerk and kind of a um a a a shrill shrill man um kitty his wife has turned into the arms of another it has turned into the arms of christopher lee who man like people who only think of christopher lee as either dracula or saruman they need to see him in some hammer films because his range is phenomenal and in the two faces of dr jekyll he is a complete and utter heel he is a he's shallow, a total fuck boy Lothario. absolute <laughs> and he's fuck boy. wonderful and yeah because this was like so i watched this movie last night this was the last of all the horror movies i watched so including the the horror the hammer ones that i watched as well and so in in the scope of like hammer movies of course he plays you know there's the one where he does the frankenstein of course he's memorably count dracula as well um but then even there's ones where he's the hero um and he's and th- and in this particular movie he starts off as the slimy best friend who's banging his wife uh banging his wife and borrowing money from him at the same time yeah. because he always loses his money gambling <laughs> but the thing that's wild about Christopher Lee's arc in this movie which is probably in in my opinion like the most interesting part about this movie is how once once Hyde goes full hide and basically starts running the show he basically one ups uh he big dogs christopher lee and christopher lee has to eat shit for most of the rest of the movie because hyde is doing all the things that like he's the one who bangs the star that after christopher lee is like yeah that that's she's out of your league you'll never get her and uh, he he basically just puts Christopher Lee in his place and Christopher Lee is super bitter and resentful about it. Like that's, that's a turn of like, that, that is a, that is an, a, a plot development that I would not have, or a character type, even I guess that I wouldn't have seen Christopher Lee playing as, yeah, I could see him yeah. being, you know, the Lothario, but him being upstaged uh, by his, uh, by his new friend, Mr. Hyde. And, <laughs> 
just sort of seething resentment about it is is a is a wheel I did not know he had uh, in him. Well, Hyde. So that that's what's great because. And uh, man, I, I just love Christopher Lee so much. Christopher Lee is he does start off as kind of the bad guy of the film, right? He's 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 sleeping with Jekyll's wife. He's basically stealing money from him when Jekyll becomes Hyde. Uh, Christopher Lee, uh, Paul Allen sees everything that he wants in life now in Hyde. Like he sees like, oh, this is the this is the this is the apex of what I aspire to be. It's, it's this, it's this devilishly handsome, cold calculating man who can basically get whatever he wants. Um, and nowhere is that more clear to me than in probably my favorite sequence of the film. And it's my favorite sequence of the film because I said earlier, um, uh, Paul Massey is, is just, He's gorgeous. He's just flat out sculpted like Michelangelo. Um, and it's kind of amazing to watch that transformation when all the makeup comes off and you see all the angles and you see this devilishly handsome man. Um, and he goes into the club where uh, Paul Allen is and where um, I, I think Kitty is there, too, at one point, right? Because she doesn't recognize Hyde as Jekyll. Um, and there comes a moment where a young unknown actor named Oliver Reed shows up. This is before he became famous. It is a year before he stars for Hammer in one of my favorite Hammer films, The Curse of the Werewolf. Here, he's just like, a, he's a bouncer. A really well-dressed bouncer. And my brain was completely, like, it short-circuited when I was watching this <laughs> film. I'm like, what? Okay. That's, that's Oliver Reed. And, and Oliver Reed, again, I, I, I make no bones about the fact if I find anyone attractive. Oliver Reed is just ridiculously handsome. Like, yes, to a point that's, where that's not, I kind of spit and I'm like, yeah. come on, man. Really? Really? You got to be that? And and he shows up and his you when he's there, he's only there for a couple of minutes. You can't take your eyes off of him. Um, so it's fortunate that the way the sequence works is he tries to bounce Edward Hyde and Hyde beats the ever loving shit out of him and beats the ever loving shit out of him with a, with this incredibly cold grin on his face. And it, you know, again, hammer films typically now are not scary, but they can be haunting. And the way Hyde's face looks as he just wonderfully beats Oliver Reed to a pulp. Um, it's incredible. And you see, like, when that's done, you see this look that Paul Allen gives him. And it's a look of, oh, I've just met my better. I've just met my better. This is what it's going to be. Um, and then just have it go from there to, um, I, I mentioned this in the review for Cinema Duel. So um, if you ever wanted to see Christopher Lee drugged up on opium in an opium den, this is the movie for you. <laughs> if you ever wanted to see Christopher Lee get attacked by a snake <laughs> in one of the most hilarious moments of the film, because again, as wonderful and as athletic, as energetic as this can be, when you get attacked by a snake, it's still someone throwing a rubber snake on your neck and you pretending to be choked. Um, but you know what? Few people do it as good as Christopher Lee does. Few people do it as good as that, that guy does. And I, and I do want to circle back to something you had said about the, the, the gleeful look on Paul Massey's face as he's beating Oliver Reed to death uh, or almost to death. And that I think for me is my sort of the, the thing I think that is most effective about his performance is sort of this almost like alien, like his almost alien demeanor. Like he's he's it, it, it it's not quite the level of like Mr. Burns in the X in the X-Files episode of The Simpsons where he's like, I bring you peace, I bring you love. But it's like maybe a step or two below that um, in terms <laughs> of just his and and but while he's you know, bliss, just completely like almost blissed out, just sort of happy to talk about, you know, like it's, it, it, there is a little bit of cognitive dissonance of watching this very comfortable old British movie where Paul, where the, where the protagonist of the story tells a, a, a nice young lady uh, that she's a whore um, yeah. or, you know, repeatedly tells people to go to hell. I'm like this, like, I know it's obviously like, we, we talk about these movies as being mostly, I don't want to say quaint, but like, but, but, but it does feel weird because obviously we see a lot more in anything since then. Uh, but it does feel a bit like, oh, he just told her to, he just told someone to go to hell. 
Yeah, your that, brain's that actually, not wired this, to expect that, right? From those types of from films from that era. Yeah, it, it does. There is something about that that actually does feel like mildly like, oh, this is a rude boy. This is a rude man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what did you think? Um, I mean, the performances, they're, they're, they're all there and they're really good. What did you think about? So, um, you've now seen probably a, a couple films. what did you think about Terrence Fisher, the director and, and just the, the framing and the look of the film in, in general? Well, and yeah, so we, it, it was funny cause we were talking about like how the, like, this is our fourth horror episode, um, which, um, our third Hooptober episode, um, this will be a hammer, uh, hammer horrors is the official theme that we're going with, but also we could go with this Terrence as a Fisher. Terrence Fisher episode yeah. or a Christopher Lee episode, um, not as much Peter Cushing because he's not in this one. He's not um, in this, unfortunately. He's not in this one. But like, there's... we will be talking about him later. Yeah. Um, as far like, I think what I like about the production of these kinds of movies is, and you, I think you talked about a British quality to it. But I think that even just the 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 sets, the 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 way that everything is set designed and, um so colorful and uh and matching that with the you know these you know classically trained or presumably classically trained actors or people who just like brings a sense of classiness to the whole affair so that even if it is you know i think i saw these movies described as like low budget horror and like when i think of low budget horror i think of like I think of the I Hope You Suffer podcast and all the dreck that they gloriously have to watch every week. Yeah, um, there's nothing low budget looking about these films no. at all. They are lush in production design. Like These are absolutely beautiful looking f- dramatic films that at the end happen to have a monster. Like the if there's something about Dr. J- like obviously Hyde is a piece of shit and I hope that uh, this movie never gets discovered by the worst people on the internet because it basically is straight up their alley. Um, <laughs> but, but, but this other than a few like transformation shots and like the, 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 I guess the primary conceit of the whole thing, so much of this movie doesn't even register to me as horror. It just, res- it just registers to me as like a well-made dramatic film about, uh, you know, this dude who has two sides to himself. Like it's, um, which, which is not to say that if it was more scary, it would, it would be, I would like it less, but just, um, everything is, everything is built and designed so well that, uh, the fact that it's horror almost is sort of like, it's, it's not that it's not the point. We talked about how, when he goes on his tear, it is actually kind of unsettling a little bit. Um, but I just, but, but the move, the movie is strong enough to sort of stand on its own without, uh, and that stuff is just like, I guess, extra bonus, like good stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think so much of the credit for that stands on, um, Fisher and how he frames and draws the action. I mean, it, it, it does have, it has a lush production design. Everything looks beautiful. It's filmed in like this gorgeous technicolor. So all the colors pop and are vibrant, but this is a guy who knows, um, you, you know, coming up in the British studio system, there's, there's a grace to his camera work. There, there's a grace to his direction where um, it's not always so kind of, static and 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 sits there he can be active during a frightening scene or during a scene of action like the fight in the bar um with oliver reed or you know more more quiet threatening moments um that appear throughout the film um it's also just just beautiful widescreen as as well not every hammer film is kind of filmed equally um this one shot in 235 it's that gorgeous really nice widescreen and and fisher knows how to frame a shot he knows how to take advantage of some of those gorgeous sets designs and some of the gorgeous um costuming that goes on with the more period pieces that we see here um and and even like when they 
look, there are, there are limitations to the effects that you can do and limitations to the transformation, right? When he goes back and forth. But as the movie goes on, I love how they film and how Massey pulls off the inner struggle between Hyde and Jekyll as it's no longer because of the serum injections. Now he's created this other person inside of him and they are at war with each other, whether it's using a mirror or whether it's just kind of double talking as he's walking. Um, you know, they pull out a lot of different tricks to show that that duality and, and that, that inner war that he's having with himself. And I think that's one of the tenets of hammer horror that it's, 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 it's not always external. There's a lot of internal as well. There's a lot of great close-ups and a lot of use of the actor's expressions and, 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 and they know how to kind of mix and match those different pieces to construct something that's exciting. Um, even as it kind of feels like a parlor room drama, you know, for a lot of its runtime. I, I had a good time with this one. This was, uh, uh, <clears throat> this one had, I mean, I don't, I, do they have any other Jekyll and Hyde type stories or is this the only one they did? I am by no means an, an, an expert, um, but I think this might be the only one that they've done. But you know what else they've done, John? Um, when they ran out of the classic monsters from Universal, they had to come up with a couple of their own. So, if we are uh, allowed to, why don't we jump ahead after the break and talk about 1964's The Gorgon? Our next entry is 1964's The Gorgon, um, again directed by Terrence Fisher, again starring Christopher Lee, but also um, completing the triumphant of uh, excellent hammer horror. Peter Cushing is also in this film. Um, like I said, uh, instead of having it being a take on the universal horrors, this um, takes up a new creature. It takes on the classic creature of Greek mythology, the Gorgon. Uh, so basically, in a nutshell, this is about a small town called Vandorf in the early 1900s. They are um, living with a secret. Um, seven murders in five years. I'll actually read from my quick summary um, <laughs> over on Cinema Duel. Seven murders in five years. The town of Vandorf has a secret, and it might have something to do with the abandoned Castle Borski or the people turning to stone. When young Sasha turns up dead and her lover Bruno hanged, the town quickly surpasses her, um, suppresses the truth, much to the chagrin of Bruno's father and brother who come to investigate, only to be put off at every turn from the cold Dr. Namaroff. When Bruno's father also dies, it's up to Bruno's brother Paul and the aloof Professor Meester to uncover the truth of Megara, the Gorgon. So this is pretty much your standard kind of hammer horror. There is a creature, there is a secret, there is a town in peril, and it's up to Christopher Lee to save it. Um, you know, so I'm going to start there. Um, this is another kind of off the beaten path role for Christopher Lee. He very much plays the hero kind of of the tale here. Um but there's some interesting pieces to the Gorgon that you don't normally see in a lot of the other kind of classic Hammer films. Um, and the thing that I really liked about this one is um, you you have your creature, the Gorgon. This is um, the sister of Medusa, Megara. Um, her, her spirit is possessing someone in the town. What I really liked about this was the whole conceit of the town knows this. The town knows that this thing is happening. The town knows that there is a monster in their midst and they hide it. And they covered up, and not just the cold and calculating Dr. Nemiroff, who's played by Peter Cushing. And Peter Cushing, in a rare kind of you know villain turn for the film, he's he's not quite the villain. I mean, obviously the monster is the villain, but but he's not a good person in this film. Stern. Um, patriarchal figure i guess yeah he's he's very patriarchal he's very protective um there are reasons as the movie you know eventually makes clear and you discover who the gorgon is but i i love that this is not only just a monster movie this is a movie about a town with a secret and and the town kind of protecting that secret even though the secret is detrimental to their lives um I really like that. I really like 
<laughs> that uh, the film doesn't know who it wants to be its hero. Like, I find Thank that you. really weird as well. It, look, it's weird and it's a little maddening, but when it finally gets its hero, it's wonderful because its hero is Christopher Lee, basically. <laughs> but it is a problem of the film that it starts off with... Um, there's a young woman um, who is being taken advantage of by this young kind of ne'er-do-well painter. Um, she's pregnant with his baby. Uh, he immediately wants to go talk to the father. And she's like, no, the father thinks you're an idiot. You know, he's never going to do anything. They both run off. She gets killed by the Gorgon. He gets hanged. Um, and, and, and then, so then the father comes to investigate and you think, oh, the father is the hero. He's going to investigate the death of the daughter. Um, except the father dies <laughs> as well. So now the brother comes and the brother has to, and then the, the brother becomes the hero, except the brother's a bit of a wet noodle as well. So he calls upon his mentor, the beautiful, uh, beautifully portrayed Professor Meester, Christopher Lee, who has the most astounding mustache I've ever seen Christopher Lee have. It is so astounding that at some point it acts on its own and falls off of his face during some of the scenes, none of which for me take away from the charm of the film. Um, we put all of that together as well as, again, we, we talked about kind of the unique transformation of Jekyll into Hyde in the two faces of Dr. Jekyll. Um, in all of my experiences watching movies with Gorgons, and it's pretty much relegated to just both versions of Clash of the Titans, when they turn to stone, they just kind of immediately turn to stone. Um, this is a hammer horror film. They don't just immediately turn to stone. First, they get these weird, like, kind of pock marks on their face. It then looks they like someone, like, acupunctured them. It looks like bit. someone, yeah, because then it bleeds a little bit and then they slowly start to turn gray and they get slower and slower in their movements until they eventually turn to stone. Man, I loved that effect. I loved how weird it was. I loved mm -hmm. how unique a choice it was. Um, and if in it's the case not, of the dad specifically, having enough time yes. in his transformation to dictate a whole ass letter to his son. Yeah, and that's where the horror for me comes in, right? So there's nothing, again, there's nothing shocking in this movie or horrific where I'm scared. But I love the moments of this guy knows he's dying. He's slowly turning to stone and as quick as he can. He's trying to write a letter to his son to explain what's happening. And his, his manservant is there like... Is there anything I can do? And the guys, I'm turning to stone. No, just give me the pen and the paper. Let me write to Paul <laughs> so that he can come and see what's going on. Um, and just how the town completely ignores it. Um, it's, again, it's thin on the bones, man. There's not a whole lot of meat here. But again, when you're working with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, who just turn in just wonderful performances, Christopher Lee especially, um, there are other movies where I can expound at length upon how amazing Peter Cushing is, but this belongs to Christopher Lee again. Um, and just Terrence Fisher just knocking it out of the park with the way that he is able to do the action scenes, do the horror scenes. There's a great sequence where... Um, Paul is being pursued by the Gorgon. And, you know, if you stare directly into a Gorgon's face, you will turn to stone. But, you know, there's always the myth of you can look at her through a mirror or for or from a reflection and not be affected. And the track that this movie takes is, well, you won't die, but you will get sick. Like, it will still affect you. So she, he's constantly, like, seeing her reflection in water or in a window pane and turning around. And it does stuff to him, man. He gets really, really sick. And then, again, Again, this seems to be a theme with Hammer. Like it ages him dramatically. So when he wakes up in the hospital, he's all haggard and has wrinkles, and he's got gray hair. You know where he he meets the beautiful nurse um, that kind of becomes the love interest at play here, and kind of the crux upon which the rest of the movie hangs. So um, I, I definitely would call it again kind of mid tier, but. It's, it's a great example of how even mid-tier Hammer Horror can just be a hoot to watch. There's nothing to really contemplate here. It's just a fun story uh, with, again, to me, a wicked ending. Absolutely. And lest we not talk about Peter Cushing at all in this uh, segment, I do want to mention that his uh, his mutton chop facial hair combination that he has going oh, on is borderline lemmy ish in its in, in its execution i was like this looks like a posh lemmy uh it's, an it's incredibly in, posh lemmy yeah it, it 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 looks so amazing um yeah i think that i thank you for bringing up my like 
I, I didn't write down notes for this, but my my immediate reaction to the Gorgon was, who the fuck is the actual protagonist of this movie? <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like if you got rid of the dad and got and just went from straight from the the painter is well, well, the, isn't the painter? He's hung. I guess. But yeah. like if you could somehow just rework it slightly so that the the painter is able to send a letter before he gets turned to stone or something, then then you and do that just a slight bit faster. Or the, do- the or the girl, right? Because the girl is the daughter of the father who is the father of Paul who comes. It could just okay. be that she gets turned to stone, she manages to tell somebody who reaches the father and the father says to the son, go see what's happening to your sister. And then everything plays from there. Right. Yeah. It takes too long to get to who ultimately you're supposed to be cheering for. And the person that you're in theory supposed to be cheering for does not recognize that his love interest is in fact the Gorgon like well beyond any point at which everyone in the everyone else in the movie and also you the audience have also figured it out like that's like <laughs> if there's something that i don't it is not maybe as much fun is that paul is just the absolute dumbest fuck uh, <laughs> it, it, it is wild that everyone else is clearly like they're 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 not subtle they're not trying to like be coy about it they're very much pro- telling you who the gorgon is and he's just like but 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 he's he just never puts it together until it's far too late but let me okay let me throw this at you if paul were any brighter there would be no need to call in professor meester and then we would never get Christopher Lee, who, this, this who is, protects, this him, is the protects him in- from an assassination by knife attack. Let's 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 not forget that amidst all of the Gorgon horror going on, right? Because they're going to potentially unearth the secrets of Megara um, in in the body of of spoiler alert. But the nurse is is the Gorgon. Um, Peter Cushing tries to have him assassinated. <laughs> And it is a hilarious assassination attempt. And it is in that assassination attempt where Christopher Lee jumps in and starts to fight. And as you can watch, half of his mustache falls off his face. And Christopher Lee doesn't even pause. He just keeps going, knowing that, hey, look. The it's a Gorgon. Is, Gorgon's yeah, making your mustaches fall off. Fuck it. Who cares? It's, it's, it's all the time. It's, I got to say it's, that it's your, your mentioning of that just reminds me that this is basically the Keanu Reeves and Dracula problem, which is just, he. it's a problem unless you realize that he's not actually the protagonist. Like, right. Yeah. The protagonist here is Christopher Lee, and he's just the thing that, the excuse that gets you to Christopher Lee. Yeah. And, and you know, at the end, it, it, again, it all comes together in beautiful hammer fashion at Castle Borski. And now they know what they need to do and, and and they know how to kill the Gorgon and the Gorgon is there, but she holds power and uh, you know, it it's again, Hey guys, do you want to see Christopher Lee grab a huge ass sword and chop the head off of a Medusa? Of course you do. Of course you do. Of course you do. Of course you do. Do you want to see Peter Cushing, Peter Cushing ultimately fail and also get turned to stone? Of course you do. Of course you do. Um, and I think it's it's just incredible that we have these opportunities now to see these people, especially for people like, and I, I count myself in the age group. I, I know for a fact you are the same, John. Who do we know Peter Cushing from? We know him from Star Wars. He's, he's Grand Moff Tarkin. He's Grand right? Moff Tarkin. Yeah, right. He's Grand Moff Tarkin. Who do we know Christopher Lee from? He's Sar- he's Saruman, he's Saruman right? Yeah. From Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, e- e- even being a good fifteen, you know, seventeen years older than you, they, that's the, I have the same touchstones for those characters. I was not a learned Christopher Lee scholar. I, you know, barely saw him in in things. So to come back and have our expectations of these characters subverted by seeing how lively they were, how full of vibrancy and how athletic they were in their earlier performances, it's a marvel. It's just a marvel to see. It, it in, in fact, when we talk about recommendations, I'll talk about a couple films with um, one with Christopher Lee and one with Peter Cushing, where again, like this is not 
this is not what you expect if that's what you've grown up with. These guys could be swashbucklers. These guys could be action heroes. These guys could be, you know, monsters. And it's it's wonderful to see that. Um, and it, it, I'll, I'll never make the argument that this is first-rate hammer horror. Uh, but to your point... It's it's comforting to watch. I would have no problem um, on a rainy Sunday sitting down and throwing the Gorgon back on again and just smiling the whole way through. Absolutely. And and especially if we're thinking about, I mean, P- Peter Cushing, but especially Christopher Lee, just just how ridiculous, like not just like athletic and full of life, but just also just uh, like attractive. Like the the like yeah. the, the I mean, the. Peter Cushing bone structure is a bit intimidating. I don't think it's ever not intimidating. <laughs> but but That's a good point. But like the, these are like these are handsome men in their prime, and they're they're doing just absolutely the best, and they don't lose any of their their gravitas when they're in their in their older years. But like it's it's you're right. It is absolutely delightful and uh, enlightening. Uh, to go back with these two in their careers also. And again, it's, it's so brief in this particular movie, but you're right. You did mention, uh, uh, Oliver Reed and, uh, his brief appearance in, I think it was, uh, Jekyll and, uh, the Jekyll and Hyde. Two faces movie. of Dr. Jekyll. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, yeah, like he, he's so <laughs> it's, he almost doesn't, he almost, it's almost like before he has the Oliver Reed, like he he's he's good in that performance, but he's almost so young that you're just like, who's this little pipsqueak? Like, yeah, it's I mean, it's Oliver Reed before he became Oliver Reed. Uh, the Curse of the Werewolf, which he stars in, was one of his really first big roles, you know. And then he be, he got more acclaimed after that. Um, but yeah, so go watch some Hammer Horror movies. I feel like that's yeah, the. Please. <laughs> I feel like that's the I feel like that's the ultimate takeaway from here is uh have yourself a good time. Watch these uh when you need a comforting night in uh, and it's snowing outside. Watch these when you're making dinner. Uh you know, any any number of circumstances would be appropriate to watch Hammer Horror films. Watch them when you have a hankering to like look, all of us love the classic horror. Like we we all love Frankenstein, we all love the mummy, we all love werewolf movies. Um, if you're hankering for something just like in the vein, but just a little bit different, you want a different take on something that you already know, right? Like, I love the taste of steak, but maybe you can cook it a little bit differently for me this time. Maybe you can put a little bit more of a different sauce on it. Check these films out. They're readily available now. Um, they're easily obtainable on Blu-ray and DVD. If you are a um, subscriber to the streaming services, particularly HBO, HBO has like seven of them on right now, including Frankenstein and Dracula. So, yeah, no, go check these out. I mean, this was it was so fortuitous that when we were looking at the films on my list, and you had mentioned you'd never seen a Hammer film, that it was just. It was ripe to talk about. It's a they're a lovely film production company. They do a lot more than horror. Um, so maybe one day we'll do non-horror hammer films. Um they they do a Robin Hood movie, they do pirate movies, uh they have a kung fu movie. Uh they have a kung fu movie with a Dracula. I mean, I you know, it'll it, they, they cross boundaries. Okay. I'm, they I'm, cross I'm boundaries. sorry. I'm sorry. My brain just short circuit at the last two things you said. <laughs> Uh, are, are those by chance part of that box set that you just got? Don't worry, sir. I'll 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 get you covered. I'll get oh you covered. Oh my god, I'm so excited! <laughs> what a note to end on. That's amazing. All right. So for recommendations this time around, I have two recommendations to talk about. The first is 1958's The Horror of Dracula. Um, apparently, this was the U.S. title for it in the U.K. It was just Dracula, but you know movie names are weird um this is the first of the uh christopher lee as dracula movies um what if dracula was hot and people wanted to fuck dracula that is uh and it was christopher lee like this is uh from what you have told me and from the stuff like if we we picked the movies we talked about for our main episode for very specific reasons but uh of the uh of the of the larger set of movies that I watched uh, this month, especially from the horror subset or the, the hammer subset, sorry. Um, Horror of Dracula was 
probably like one or two as far as favorites yep. goes. It's fantastic. Such a great movie. And I mean, you know, it's talking about Christopher Lee all you want because uh, he is phenomenal in this movie and his portrayal of Dracula might be my overall favorite. But don't forget, Peter Cushing is also in this as Van he's, Helsing. So he's Van Helsing. Yeah. <laughs> like the, this is like the if you. I at some point when I get further in, I would like to test a hypothesis that this might be the like platonic ideal of a Hammer film, and then just see how everything else stacks up to it. Mm. Um, I see this is I, I can see the wheels turning. I don't know if that's I don't know if that is in fact the case, but I'd like to uh, either dig into that myself or have you report back on some on some thoughts of your own. That is entirely possible. I'd have to give it a little bit of thought too, but if it's not the winner, it is definitely like in the top three as a contender. Absolutely. Um, and my second recommendation for uh, this episode is not a hammer film, but I did spend most of this month watching spooky movies as is uh, expectation. And so the one that I was very very happy to see uh, finally and surprised by how much I really liked it was uh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Um, this is the movie that has the green jar of Satan uh, in the basement of a church. Um, and what I really liked about it was the central premise of uh, the, 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 the conceit of the movie, which is that uh the Satan, the green Satan in a jar is in fact, uh, anti-God. And they, they come up with a way to talk about, uh, religion in very scientific terms and talk about Jesus as this alien, uh, trying to, you know, coming to earth to spread the message. And th this is the way that those, t the, the religion and science come together reminds me a bit of one of my favorite, uh, horror movies, Event Horizon. Um, Again, not, not not like where uh, this is not. I don't wouldn't. Again, I wouldn't talk about this in terms of elevated horror. I'm just a sucker for that kind of like, uh, yeah. God is an alien, and here's uh, and Satan is you know antimatter and shit like this. That 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 stuff. I'm 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 a sucker for it, and uh, <laughs> I was really happy to have gotten the chance to to see that finally. Yeah, you know, it's a. I don't want to say it's a shame, but you know, when people when people talk about John Carpenter and John Carpenter's genius. They get everyone always talks about the same two or three films. They always talk about Halloween and they always talk about the thing. And they usually always talk about Escape from New York. All three are fantastic films. And I'd argue for me, like the perfect horror film might be strangely enough, not Halloween. It might be the thing. The thing might be my favorite horror film of all time. But people forget, man, John Carpenter made a lot of films, and some of them are just freaking great. Uh, and I count The Prince of Darkness as one of them. I love The Prince of Darkness uh, for all the reasons that you just said. And also for its weirdness. It's just weird. It is weird. The the you the you will not be saved by the god the god plutonium or no, whatever the yeah. fuck. Like I was just like, what the fuck does that mean? That's amazing. It's got like it's got Alice Cooper in it. It's got weird kind of like Jallo moments. Um, there's the there's the there's just there's so much going on with that that film. Um, even though uh, I I can't remember the names of the stars. I'm not in love with the two main stars, but everyone else in it is just a freaking delight. Yeah, this is. I would definitely not call this a like. This this doesn't reach sort of sort of the feverish perfection of something like the thing or Halloween or you know Escape from New York that kind of stuff. But like there is enough there that absolutely carries me the entire length of the movie. So that the parts where I'm not as on board with, uh, uh, you can just overlook it and be like, yeah, no, it's totally fine. I'm gonna say something that will uh, prove maybe somewhat controversial. I like Prince of Darkness more than Escape from New York. <laughs> I love uh, Kurt Russell. I love Snake Plissken. Uh, but it, I, man, I really like Prince of Darkness. It, there is something so off-putting about it. Like, it, that's just so disturbing. It, I, I just find it a fantastic film. I, I, I won't, I, like, I, it doesn't, your your controversial opinion does not evoke any sort of rage in myself. That being said, 
I wouldn't have my beloved Metal Gear Solid series without Escape from New York, so it's hard for me to be fully on board with that. <laughs> Chris, what uh, what recommendations do you have for us this time? So I'm going to go with three. Um, I'm, I'm going to start off in the Hammer world, then I'll jump to non-Hammer to talk about um, one of the films that I really came away loving from the Hooptober Marathon. But i got to talk Hammer for just a little bit more. Getting away from the classic... Um, horror for just a moment and and seeing Hammer stretch its wings a little bit. Probably one of my favorite Hammer films. I know you've seen it as well. And you want to talk about another great Christopher Lee performance. We have to talk about The Devil Rides Out. Fuck yeah, we do. Oh man, 1968. Um, It is, it's about a cult. It's about the devil but it kind of moves beyond that and it gets kind of almost cosmic and Lovecraftian in its horror. Um, and it, again, it's, it's, it plays with imagery so really well. This has an image of the devil or what they think is the devil that is unlike anything I had seen in a movie. I really, really enjoy it. Um, if you are a fan of Bathory or Venom, um, and you look at the devil in this movie, you will see some striking similarities. But again, it's um, I don't want to shock you. It's directed by Terrence Fisher uh, and it stars <laughs> <laughs> it stars Christopher Lee. Um, and he he really is the hero here. He is like the knowledgeable kind of one trying to save everyone. And by the end, it gets into this wonderful like almost if you're a fan of the show Supernatural. This gets there. This gets to like drawing, um, drawing protective spell ward circles and staying within the circle as everything tries to come at you. And it has a bravura, if I said that right, uh, ending sequence where they're inside the circle and it literally goes like crazy intergalactic cosmic horror um, as they try to get them out. And it is a fantastic movie. Yeah. I can't no, recommend no. that one enough. No, no question. I, uh, of the Hammer movies I watched this time around, like, again, it's either Horror of Dracula or it's uh, Devil Rides Out. Like, those those were the top two contenders for me as far as uh, the Hammer stuff specifically. Um, and I would have happy, been happy to recommend it if you didn't uh, have it lined up. Um, I... Yeah, when you talk about, like, the protective circles and uh, I just wish that, like... Th- I just wish that there were more movies about where they just sort of like, no, no, no. Like here's, here's our, I don't talk about like a magic system, but almost kind of like a magic system of like, no, this stuff is real. And here's like, we're going to, you know, mount up for our expedition. You got to make sure you have all your stuff. And, um, you know, the, the, the casualness by which they like, these are, this is obviously a heightened thing, but it's not like, they're freaked out by it. It's like, nope, nope. Time to put in my time at the old dem- the the old devil fighting factory. Like it's, <clears throat> I I wish more movies took that particular tone of not not like not to the point of parody. Like I mean, I I love Cabin in the Woods, but like, but like no, just <clears throat> this is going to be a straightforward movie about someone whose bread and butter business, the way they make their living, is to fight demons. And yeah. and, and it's not like and it's and, and it's not particularly hung up on uh it's not particularly hung up on any particular thing it's just no it's a straightforward um devil fighting adventure and i love it so much me too in in an alternate so in two in one alternate reality we would have done this last year because i had at least two or three hammer films on my list last year um and i know we picked that horrifying movie about the woman uh, the witch who came in from the sea. <laughs> that oh, I forgot and, about that. <laughs> we could have done this hammer episode last year and done the devil rides out. And the next film that I'm going to, Oh, and in a, a, a second parallel universe, there were a series of films uh, where we got Christopher Lee playing the Duke de Richelieu, you know, fighting evil in different adventures. Um, uh, we also would have talked about the other film that I want to mention, which I saw last year and is one of my favorites. And that is depending on where you saw it, um, Captain Clegg or Night Creatures from 1962. Um, this is a, another wonderful Hammer film. It is not 
quite horror. Um, and it doesn't have Christopher Lee, unfortunately. It has um, Peter Cushing, though. He is the star. And I'll just quickly read my quick summary here. Um, there is nothing supernatural about it, but it invokes some supernatural things. Captain Clegg was a ruthless pirate who we briefly see punish a brute for assaulting his wife who died in childbirth. Years later, the British Royal Navy seize upon the tranquil town of Dimchurch to investigate potential smuggling of spirits, uh, literally alcohol. But the town tells stories of a different kind of spirit, the marsh phantoms who prowl the marshes and kill unsuspecting folks, such as old Tom Ketch. Soon the Royal Navy, led by Captain Collier, has to square off against the town, led by Parson Bliss, who is determined to keep his town safe and cared for, no matter the cost. But why is the brute so angry at the mere sight of Bliss? Who or what are the mysterious skeletons riding in the marshes and the scarecrows with the moving eyes? And what about that jawline on Oliver Reed? Yes, Oliver Reed is briefly in this film as well. And I can't apparently write about anything without mentioning how beautiful Oliver Reed is. That's mm -hmm. something that I'll have to work on with my wife and in therapy at a later point. But do you this though? Is <laughs> ah, look. I'll work on it to my own advantage. But this is like, this is a great example of Hammer doing something that's not quite what you expect, but you still get what you expect out of it. It has its scary moments. It has these incredible marsh phantoms that are these skeletons that live in the marsh and kill people. But not everything is what it seems. And the wonderful Parson Bliss, who is played by um, Peter Cushing, is not who he seems. Uh, and it is just, it, it's great to see all the back and forth and to kind of pull up the sheets and understand what is actually going on and who the Marsh Phantoms are and who Parson Bliss is and, and what's actually happening. It, it, it feels like an old kind of revolutionary spy film in a way, but with horrific elements and with great action. Um, again, if you've always think of Peter Cushing as this frail person from Star Wars, watch him in Captain Clegg, Night People. He will turn you around. Uh, it is he is he gives an amazing performance here. Um, so those are two Hammer films. You know, if you want to get off the beaten path and away from the monsters, check these two films out. And then the other one I just want to briefly mention because apparently, from what you and I talked about, this may not be available for much longer. So if you have Netflix, do whatever you can to see the film called His House. Um, it was a Netflix film. Um, this uh, was the film debut of filmmaker Remy Weeks, and it is by far probably the best film that I've seen in my Hooptober Marathon. Um, this is a story that is a little bit about the African refugee experience coming over to Britain and being put through kind of the bureaucratic red tape of what it takes to seek political asylum in um, England. Uh, but it's not only that. It is also a terrifying film about a haunting and about a um, African creature that this married couple um, bring with them and why it came with them and what happens and what are the results of what's going on. Um, it is terrifying. It has some truly scary moments. It has a wonderful, unique monster that I had not seen before. And like I've talked about when I look for horror, I'm not really tied into the slasher thing. It's, it's a little too realistic for me. I use horror as an escape. So the, the more supernatural and mystical it is, the better. This beautifully merges together a very personal um, and and global story about what that experience looks like, and it ties it to a knockout scary monster film. Um, and it, 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 like when people talk about that term elevated horror, I think of this film because it is so much more than just a horror film. But and this is where like I have to be very like clear, it is scary as fuck. It is it terrifying. It is a horror film first, and then it's also these other things by dint of how it was written and directed. Um, by far, like the more I talk about it, the more I convince myself this is the best film that I've seen in my marathon this year. That is, uh, that is really, uh, that is really really compelling and. Uh, I really need to make sure that I see this before it comes out. And hope, I mean, hopefully what I heard about it coming off of Netflix is not true. Uh, or if it is true that it's still up when this episode comes out, but like, 
<clears throat> I definitely need to see it. Yeah. And I mean, for nothing else, holy cow. Um, I, I hope I pronounced her name right. Wunmi Mosaku, uh, who plays the wife, um, Rial. Uh, she's been in a lot of stuff. Um, I first noticed her. She was one of the stars of the unfortunately very short-lived Lovecraft Country, uh, which was on HBO. She okay. is, uh, my God, uh, one of the best performances I've seen. I, I will now watch her in anything after her performance in this film. Um, you know, so take that for what it is. Um. <laughs> Absolutely. That is, uh, that's a hell of a way to, uh, to end out the episode. I think, uh, Chris, I would like, I know that technically speaking, as of this recording, you still have one movie left, I think to go one to. film left in the marathon to go. Yes. But, um, just like, Grand thematically speaking, I'm just going to say I congratulations on making it through both you and Dan. Real champs, you you stuck it out to the end, and I now officially release you from needing to watch horror movies uh, until either next uh, until either next mid September or whenever you feel like it. Thank you so much. I am so looking forward to, and I say this all the time, and and I inevitably fail, but I I kid you not, I am so looking forward to writing about something other than horror films <laughs> um and with dan kind of egging us on dan has been just a powerhouse of writing um and i don't want the volume that we've put out on cinema duel to let up so hopefully between the three of us because it's been a while since you've put a feature out there as well john we'll start thinking about some uh some of the next stuff that we'll be putting up on the site Absolutely. And that site is cinemaduel.com. You can check out a whole, I mean, especially this month, uh, just a plethora of uh, horror-related writing. Oh, God, over 60 reviews in the last month. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is uh, that is possibly more than we've written in the entire history of the site combined. Uh, <laughs> quite possibly. Um, but for now, that'll do it for us. Uh, for Chris and myself, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Stay safe, take care of each other, and we'll catch you next time. Bye! Bye.